Hello and welcome along once again to It Will Be Alright in the 90s, the podcast that always takes its own trophy made out of cardboard and tinfoil to any cup matches to tens. I'm Stu Joslin and joining me down the line, as always, he's not the muscles from Brussels, but he is the pistol from Bristol. It's Alex Greenwood. Greeny, how you doing, mate? Oh, I'm, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for that that new name. I'll be uh, making sure everyone I know uh, refers to me as that from now on. It's definitely new to me. Yeah, very I flattering. So. Well, I just thanks. thought it was time that we needed some official nicknames in the pod. Maybe next week you can return the favour. Yeah, I'm going to make a note, see if I see what I can come up with. But yeah, no, I'm good. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to this. It's an interesting topic. It's very local, a um, bit local sort of sporting history for us and something quite niche, but definitely something that's worthy of a of a podcast episode, I think. so. Yeah, absolutely. This is one I've been looking forward to for a while. Uh, we've got Lee Burns, who was the captain of the Chippenham Town team that made it all the way to the FA Vars final in the 1999-2000 season. He's going to be joining us tonight to talk us through uh, that magical cup run and a real unique time in, in Wiltshire football history. So really looking forward to speaking to him. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a good one. Um, nice haircut, by the way. I assume you went to the official barber of the pod, uh, Will Hodgson, for that? I did last week. Many thanks to Will for the fresh trim. It was a nice nice trim up, a nice shave. Nice little bit of tay back on the back of the neck, hot towel as well. Uh, it really is the full package when you go down to Hepcats of Chippenham. So do get yourself down there for all your barbering needs if you're local. Yeah, I've been meaning to get down there, but it's slightly out of my way. But I think one day soon I'll be able to get down there. Maybe as a precursor to the the it'll be right in the 90s summer party that is in the the very early stages of planning i i know yeah yeah definitely well if, if we can make that work we will and, and listeners be sure to check your local newspapers for, for further details when when they come out near at a time yeah i should say i'm trying to work through his range of available colognes so i had tay back last time at high karate the time before that there's a whole whole range of, of great colognes he's got there so uh yeah i'm really trying to work my way through that each visit i can't wait for my hair to cry out again so i can go back yeah, that's Hep, <laughs> Hepcats Barbers, the official barbers of Itleborough in the 90s. Just just say it again one more time. Hepcats Barbershop. There so we are, cool. fantastic. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, talking of sponsorship, before we go any further, I should mention our sponsor this week, who is Park Stores Cost Cutter of Conway Road in Chippenham. Uh, for your best value local shopping, open seven days a week from 6am until 9pm. Uh, simply quote the code ALRIGHT90s at the counter to rent three VHS tapes for the price of two from the in-store Apollo Video Film Hire Outlet. Maximum hire time, two nights. An extra charge may apply if tapes are returned unrewound. So many thanks to the guys at the Conway Road cost cutter for that. And as part of the deal, Greeny, I went up there a bit earlier on, got myself some stones. Oh, lovely stuff. Lovely go. kind Fantastic. of stones. It's nectar. It's bloody nectar. <laughs> England, England's finest brown ale, I'd say. But it says it doesn't oh. say brewed in Yorkshire. It says brewed for Yorkshire. Oh, okay. So it's very, very specific about the um, about the local connotations there. But yeah. <clears throat> That's odd, isn't it? It kind of does feel like the wrong way around there because it's like it's only for one specific county. But hey, it's not stopped us, has it? So uh, no, I think it, in true. fact it is the official official brown ale of the pod. I think it is. It is. Yeah. If, if it wasn't written in the ledger last week, then uh, we should really update that. Uh, and, and get it down in there in its in its rightful place. Yeah, I think one day soonish I will go through everything that's in the ledger just to remind the listeners and ourselves exactly what's in there. But yeah, not not today, but in the future we'll do that.
we got any correspondence? I understand we've got an email, Alex, a lesser spotted email. We have. Let me just grab oh, that. And you can hear it as well. Fantastic. Right. So, yes, we've had a lovely email from friend of the pod, Nicola, here. And she says, hello and happy belated Christmas and New Year. Hope it's been a good one so far. Now, for anyone who doesn't remember, I re- referenced Nicola in the Christmas episode but very briefly because we were talking about uh, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. It was during our discussion on what the best. Yes, yes, I remember. Christmas number one was. And I mentioned in passing that I'd spoken to her and he, she'd said that she doesn't like the song. Mm-hmm. And then brother of the pod, Adam, who was a guest in that episode, said that he couldn't believe it and asked if she was just being contrarian. Um, and she has responded to that saying, uh, sorry, I'm a bit late catching up on the pod. But in answer to your question, the question being, are you being contrarian by not liking Mariah Carey? Um, she says, I'm shocked. Do you think it's one of the best of all time? Of all time, she said. I've done some research and it is, according to Chris Parsons of Yahoo News, the third best selling Christmas song of all time, only beaten by Bing Crosby's White Christmas and Silent Night which have certainly been helped, obviously, by the fact that they've been sold for, they've been around for much longer, mm-hmm. obviously. Yeah. So it seem, seems that the world agrees with you, uh, although number five is Mistletoe by Justin Bieber, which is which is wild. She sort of questions whether she really does believe that Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is, is bad or not. But she says, if you really want the truth, guys, I still find it hard to move away from the internalised misogyny, which made me a cool and unemotional teen. Uh, this and me being quite contrary in nature means I don't even know what I really think. Maybe my whole life is just a lie. My best guess is I don't like Mariah Carey, which makes me think I don't like the song. And I've just listened to it and it sure is catchy. So there was quite a lot of personal uh, thought process going on there. Some soul, some mm-hmm. soul searching, some questioning of beliefs and internalised misogyny, which was um, yeah very interesting. So the the takeaway from that, I'd say, is that all I Want for Christmas by, my, by Mariah Carey probably is the best 90s Christmas number one. Or Christmas song. I'm not sure if it was number one, but Christmas song. Mm-hmm. And Nicola is now doubting her very being and her very sense of self. So um, that's always what we aim for on the pod, isn't it? To make, yeah, to make our listeners really think. And Yeah. I, mean, I think it's the first existential crisis we've had on the podcast. But... <laughs> that's true, yeah. And who would have thought it had been prompted by that? Well, there we are. Breaking throw away common. I would um, also, I... I would also just say that maybe um, Yahoo News isn't the bastion of music opinion that we should be referring to for these sorts of things. No. Uh, I would imagine there's probably uh, more worthy, uh, more worthy sources that we can check this on. But yeah, hey, I, I suppose, Ars, I suppose, it, I suppose, yeah, exactly. Ars <laughs> Jeeves. What was that one with the dog? Lycos. You know, he could have gone on there. Oh God, I forgot about that. Yeah. Alta Vista. I mean, <laughs> hey, you know, yeah, yeah. There are so many. Um, she does also say her favourite Christmas song of the 90s is The First Noel by NSYNC. Her favourite film is easily Miracle on 34th Street. The most 90s present that she got, or her favourite present from the 90s, was either a cassette player with a microphone. We all remember them. I can, I can yeah, picture them. Absolutely. Uh, or these sort of computer things which you could do maths and word games on. And I can kind of picture them as well, like really basic Almost like a giant calculator, I guess. Yeah, I think um, I have like, one of those. Probably yeah. made by VTech, I would, I would imagine. Mm. That, that, I think yeah. that was the, the brand that did all those. Yeah, and also when you were talking about the push pop, I was reminded of Melody Pops, uh, which she used to love. I don't remember Melody Pops. No. So it sounds similar to what you were describing with the um, the lollipop that grinds into your teeth. But um, <laughs> something else. Uh, and she also says she also loves Astros. So if anyone does find any, then please let her know. 
but we'll obviously let her know through the pod because it'll be big news if you can get hold of some Astros. So indeed, thank you, Nicola. Merry Christmas to you too. Glad you enjoyed the episode. Thanks for getting in touch. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, I just got a couple of uh, brief things here uh, from a friend of the pod and then from a dad of the pod. Confusingly, considering that my father has access to my mobile number, my email address, my actual address, so he could have posted posted me a letter. He's he's put a post on the uh, on the pod's Facebook page, which took me ages to figure out how to access just now. Uh, he says, "Hi Stu, it's your old man here." Yes, I know. Uh, did we have Pitfall for the PS1 in the 90s? If we did, it was a great game. Uh, yes, we did. And the reason we had Pitfall for the PS1, this is going back to the uh, the video games episode from a, a few weeks back, obviously. This was a game that he played on the Spectrum, I think, the old tape loading machine oh, yeah. that, that, he used yeah, to, yeah. that he used to play with. It was remastered and, and came back out again for the PlayStation in the late 90s, I think. And we got that and had many happy hours on it. What I remember most about it is that there was a cheat. Well, not so much a cheat, but just an extra little Easter egg. If you pressed a certain combination of buttons at one of the screens, it gives you, it puts you into the old Spectrum game, oh, and you can play, cool. and you can play the old Spectrum game as, as well as as well as well as the new game on on the PlayStation. So, so fond memories of Pitfall there. So thanks very much to Glenn for that. Yeah, excellent. Thanks, Glenn. And I've also got one from a friend of the pod, Alex Mitchell, who says about the uh, cars of the nineties. Uh, so if you haven't heard, I chose, uh, sorry, what's the most 90s car, I should say, of course. Yeah. I chose Fast Forwards. Alex went for the Subaru Impreza. Uh, he says, I'm a bit biased, but I'd say the Rover 400 series. Uh, biased as my dad had one, uh, a 416 SI specifically, I believe. I'm not saying this was the best car of the 90s, but there just seemed to be loads of them on the road in my memory. Also, with Rover ceasing to exist in 2005, it just feels 90s to me in a Wimbledon FC kind of way. Uh, yeah. And he also says, back to listening to the show, Alex just started talking about Age of Empires. Awesome game. Nice. So there I we agree. are, a nomination for the Rover 416 there for, for what's the most 90s car. Yeah, that's a good choice. I um, Yeah, we, we had a, a 214 SLI in the in the family, which was obviously the um, hatchback version of the 400. So I fully support that. I didn't realise Rover had gone out of business so long ago. 2005, did you say that? Was yeah, afraid so. Yeah. Crazy. I had a, a, a Rover 100 Ascot as uh, as my my second car, nice. which was just a rebadged um, uh, Metro. Yeah, Metro Mark II, I think Mark II Metro or Mark III yeah. Metro. I don't know, but they literally just. I think on the on the M plates it was still a Metro, and then when mm-hmm. mine was an R plate and it was a 100, so it was the same car. But um, yeah, the yeah. box used to come open when you went round corners. That was the, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's I the main mean, thing I remember about that. A car made famous, I'd say, by Alan Partridge more, more than any other. Well, he was obviously a Rover aficionado, but... Um, of course. Yeah, the Mini Metro especially makes me think of Partridge. Speaking of which, I think we have um, what's the most 90s, don't we? We do. You've got one for me this week, is that right? I do, yes. It, yeah, I don't know why I asked you like like that. Because, uh, <laughs> it's me that's, that's uh, leading it this time. So I asked you what you thought the most 90s sitcom was. And what were your thoughts? As soon as you asked me this question, my mind immediately went to one place. I assume you've picked one as well, and I wouldn't be surprised if we picked the same one. I obviously hope we don't for content reasons. Yeah, I um, think we might have done. <laughs> but I've gone for a sitcom that I actually have never watched. I didn't watch it at the time. I haven't watched it since. So I know very little about it. But when I think about 90s sitcoms and 
the sitcoms that most embody the 90s as a decade and the culture around it, I have to go for Men Behaving Badly. Ah, uh, OK. Yes, of course. Yes. Broadcast, but only for six years, between 92 and 98, so it was actually finished by the time the 90s had finished. I thought it went on a little bit longer. And really, the only thing I knew about it was that, obviously, the classic era of the sitcom is Neil Morrissey and Martin Clunes playing the, the two <coughs> flatmates. Um, in the first couple of series, one of which was on ITV, Harry Enfield starred opposite Martin Clunes, and, and Neil oh, Morrissey wasn't in it. Yeah, that, that was one of the only things I, I knew about it oh, it finished on itv bbc picked it up and then it, it became a lot more successful yeah as i say i've never actually watched it myself but i just feel like it is the quintessential 90s sitcom and i have to refer here while, while doing a little bit of research i did find uh, on the wikipedia page a little entry which which made me laugh uh, the show was criticized by the royal society for Pre- the prevention of accidents for its portrayal of, in inverted commas, a lad's culture of boozing and irresponsibility. And I think that pretty much says it all about them behaving badly. So that's my choice. <laughs> yeah. Do you think the Royal Society for the Prevention of Accidents was a big fan of 999 or hated 999? Because <laughs> it could have gone either way. They could have loved it for like warning people or hated it because it like showed them so. Let me click on their link and find out. They're a British charity that aims to save lives and prevent life-changing injuries which occur as a result of accidents. So you would think they would love 999. Yeah. But there's nothing here which um, states that they're, they they like it either way. So uh, we'll maybe have to do some more research. Maybe I can send an email and find out. Very good. Uh, that, I think your choice probably does make, yeah, makes a lot of sense. That sort of reminded me of two pints of lager and a packet of crisps, but I think that, that was maybe 2000s. And also I think it sort was, of... Yeah it was like followed on from that it's not really you wouldn't you wouldn't choose that over men mm. badly my choices were when i was thinking 2.4 children i think this is i think i thought this is what you were going to say uh 2.4 children just because it ran from 91 to 99 so it's kind of spans the whole decade almost perfectly um and i just remember it was like the first sitcom i really remember i watched a little bit of it before um recording this and it's not very good but a lot of sitcoms aren't so that doesn't mm-hmm. diminish it really but I think I'm going to go for the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air just because the I guess it's like it can be our American choice rather than instead of um, yeah. Men Behaving Badly. Um, it ran from 90 to 96. So, again, it's, it's perfectly encapsulated by the decade. And I just think the whole aesthetic was very 90s. The, the logo, what Will wore. And, yeah, I just think the fashion and everything about it was very 90s. Um, and it's sort of got a bit of a resurgence recently, which usually suggests that something's quite 90s because i think the the 90s is having like a real revival isn't it in terms of style and fashion and culture so yeah that that was my choice and i also found out through researching it that it's um loosely based on the life of a real person Uh, did you know that that no i did not know that no it's based on the life of american record executive benny medina who basically had quite a tough upbringing and then ended up living with a um, of like a wealthy family in in Bel Air, I think, or somewhere around that mm-hmm. posh part of LA. Um, so there you go. It's based on loosely on on a real person. So yeah, I think it's going to be those two: Fresh Prince of Bel Air and Men Behaving Badly is the the most nineties sitcoms. There's another link between Fresh Prince and another nineties classic nineties program. Mm-hmm. Do you know what it is? I don't know. Carry on. The voice, the guy who did the voice of Shredder. Was, mm-hmm. the na- was the same person that is Uncle Phil, basically. Uncle Phil did the voice of Shredder in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. 
Fantastic. Uh, oh, well, there you go. There you go. That's a name. Our guest tonight is a legend of the Southwest non-league footballing scene. Throughout a career spanning almost four decades, he's played for and managed some of the biggest clubs in the region. But he's best known as the skipper who led Chippenham Town out of Wembley on the biggest day in the club's history when they made it all the way to the FA Vars final on Saturday, the 6th of May, 2000. It's a pleasure to be able to welcome onto the podcast Lee Burns. Burnsy, thanks for joining us, mate. How are you tonight? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, good to see you guys and um, yeah, it'd be good to reminisce from, from the days gone by, that's for sure. Yeah, um, good. I'm, I'm an avid li- listener of the pod, so uh, that's always a good sign, isn't it? Since, uh, Already a friend of the pod. There we are. Oh, friend of the pod. <laughs> always a good start. Yeah, yeah. Well, we better start by saying that we, we were obviously, we were both at the game at Wembley that day. Greeny, where, where actually were you in the stadium? Um, a good question. I was, I was with with the rest of the the Chippenham fans, obviously, but I don't. I was watching the um, Road to Wembley, the 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 video that's on YouTube of the of mm-hmm. the Chippenham Cup run. It made it look like the Chippenham fans were in a different place to what I remember. I thought we were at one far end, sort of to the left of the goal. But the so I'm not. That's where I seem to remember being sat. But I'm not sure if that's where we were. I mean, Lee, do you remember where the Chippenham fans were in the stadium? Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you come out the, the tunnel, the old Wembley, um, it was really surreal, actually, because kind of it seemed half of Wembley was full and, and the other half was completely empty. And, mm-hmm. and I guess, really, it seemed that we had more fans than, obviously, Deal had at the time. It looks like, kind of, I guess, three quarters of the fans have come up from Wiltshire, really, you know, mm-hmm. and I guess from the halfway line, right, right away, right to that, that sort of quarter of the box and stuff, so... And I know that when they sold the tickets, it, it, it sort of was around the sort of stadium. And um, you know, obviously, the more they sell, the bigger, you know, the more fuller it, it becomes and stuff. But it, it was it was so surreal, you know, to, especially when we were warming up and stuff. And then when you turn to run back across the pitch, there was no one there. So <laughs> <laughs> it was it was mad. And it was so hot as well. Such a hot mm-hmm. Well, know. I was, um, I think I remember being towards the corner flag but I was in the goal that Chip and them were attacking in the first half um, I was sort of over towards the right hand side of the pitch as we were looking They're really quite high up as well so a good a good view for uh, what would I have been 11 but there was a bloke a bloke came and sat in front of me with about five minutes to go to kick off and he was about six foot nine so I spent uh, Spent most of it trying to trying to look around him, you know. <laughs> There's another seventy thousand seats in the stadium, so you probably... <laughs> yeah. Why shouldn't you move? Although, it's, yeah, it's a bit more more annoying that this person came and sat in front of you instead of one of those. Yeah. Well, there we are. <laughs> I was also there for the semi final. I should say. I assume it was the semi final, but I was at Harden Hewish Park for one of the the matches beforehand. It must have yeah. been the semi final. I, I mean, I'm not going to claim to be anything other than a plastic fan. Me and my family got involved, you know, as the closer it got to. Uh, the final so it must have been the semi but um yeah we are here to talk about the fa vars run as we alluded to just now though you had a storied career before and after that run but can you just talk us through to start with how you came to sign on for chippenham uh, and of course one of the most notable characters in the local game at that time manager tom saunders yeah i mean um i think coming from bath only tom um i guess you guys knew him from caution and stuff mm-hmm. And he's always a little bit larger than life. I, whenever I bumped into him, it was always kind of, you know, you know, they can't come and play for me. And always sort of ribbed him that he could never afford me and stuff. Because I think when I was at Porton, prior to going to the Chippenham, I, I, they were paying me an absolute fortune. 
especially for the Western League. And I've had sort of a few opportunities to go to like Tiverton and in places like that where they'd offered me a lot of money and I kind of renegotiated my contract with Porton and stuff. And then the the guy that was manager at Porton at the time, a guy called John Goss, who was a good guy. I played with him at the county as well. So um, Goss, loved me. I went to, uh, to, to Porton and was captain there and offered me a lot of money to go. So it was great. And it, it wasn't a bank money really, but when he left in the summer, there's a couple of new managers coming, Greg Taylor and Stuart Minor. And we didn't really kind of see eye to eye and, and um, they were, they needed to sort of cut the budget a little bit, as they said to me. And I said, well, I'm on a contract, so tough. So there was that little bit of niggle there. And we played away at um, Cheltenham Town in the, in the FA Cup. And it was a big day for Portland. I, you know, worked hard and, and probably one of the best games I ever had up there. You know, I was marking a couple of guys that put it already sort of scored sort of 50 60 goals that season and i kind of marked them out of the game really i think that was the season they got promoted to the football league so mm-hmm. it was nil nil at half time and um you know when you're having a really good game and um we come out second half and mike godwin so Goddard was playing for Portland at the time and i think he might have been left back or, or or right back or something you know i think we were sort of struggling but you know he was always a good up and downer and stuff um, and gave away a penalty literally first minute of the second half. And then it was 1-0 all the way through to about 15 minutes to go. And uh, Greg Taylor and Stuart Minel took me off, which I couldn't quite believe. I'd had the game of my life. We ended up losing 5-0. So they scored another four goals after I came off. So, oh, man. And it was one of those really where, you know, I was really disappointed. My my ex-father-in-law was, was stood in the bar um, waiting to be served and Stu Minor was stood next to him and Steve Cottrell came in he was the manager at Cheltenham at the time and he said why did you take the captain off I can't really understand it you know he's having a fantastic game he, he'd have both our centre forwards in his pocket you take him off and we score five and Stu turned around and said well you know he's on a few more money we need to knock him down a few notches and stuff to try to ease him out the back door and um, there's a few things that we need to sort of try just to uh, get him out the door, basically. Of course, my father-in-law heard all of this at the time. Mm-hmm. He told me. So I kind of guessed the writing was on the wall. I went in sort of a little bit disgruntled in the training in the week, and a few guys had sort of mentioned that Tom had taken over at Chippenham. And as it happens, Tom phones me out the blue. So word had got around a little bit, I guess. Um, phoned me up, said, can I meet me and Malcolm up at Chippenham? Um, I know a lot of the guys had left Chippen at the time because the manager previously had left, and it was a little bit of a, there was a little bit of a cloud around it a little bit. So we never had much of a much of a squad, and he didn't really offer me any money to go up either. So I went and seen you know Malcolm, and he said, "Look, um, we're going to build a team around you. We've got the likes of Charlie Griffin, we've got still a few younger lads, and bringing somebody in of your age and experience would be fantastic." We're going to do things. We're going to get promoted out of this league. We're going to have a good run in the cups and stuff like this. You know, come up. I always remember, you know, I always liked coming and playing at Chippenham. I always had a lot of grief off of um, Danielle Swan. Uh, <laughs> um, obviously, their family. And whenever I played, they'd always give me a little bit of grief behind the goal. So, I, you know, it, for me, sort of coming up, it was a no-brainer, really. I, I, mm-hmm. you know, 
quite like the challenge then. I was kind of, I think, probably heading towards 30. So, you know, coming to, to Chippenham for me then was, it was quite exciting. You know, we had we had the bare bones of a squad and, and you know, we managed to hook up by Crook, you know, do pretty well at the end of that season. And then, obviously, the next season, you know, lots of different things happening. You know, you sort of seen players coming in from here, there and everywhere. And Mal could uh, uh, back Tommy and, you know, some great players coming in. I'd sort of mix a few from, from Portland as well. So the likes of Scorch and obviously Douglas came over and there's a few sort of players coming in from there, here, there and everywhere, like, like Lee James in. And, and obviously the likes of Tweeds and Woodsy and Brainer had come across from Cairns. So all of a sudden you could see the, the nucleus of that side building. And, um, yeah, no, I mean, the, the following season, I think we've done really well, but it, Towards the end of that season, you could sort of see, you could see it really building, and, and you know where we were short of various players, they sort of came in the following season. You know, so we really had anyone to, to put it the ball in the back of the net. We had the likes of Tony Bennett come over, obviously Tweeds and stuff like that, and all of a sudden we were a force. We were a decent side. You know, the likes of Mangotsfield and teams like that 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 were, that were pretty decent in the league. You know, we were we were beating these teams. You know, going down to like Devon and Biddeford and places like that, you know, we were getting results. So it was, it was great. And I, you know, obviously being captain and Tom having the faith in me, and you know, we we've done a lot of work around that building process. Mm-hmm. That's how it sort of came around, really. So the FA Vars run all started with the three-one away win at Wimborne Town on Saturday, twenty-third yeah. of October, ninety-nine. And you, you right. sort of slightly alluded to this in in passing and in, in what you were saying there, but. Um, from the start, was it a competition that Tom had identified as one that he wanted the team to seriously compete in? Yeah, Tom and I had gone to Wembley the season before to watch Tiverton in the final. You know, we were sat in that stand green with Envy, you know, there's Tiverton really kind of playing at Wembley. It was like, oh my God, this is just the ultimate dream. And I think, you know, when I was at Portland, we had a good bars run. I think we got to the last 32 and, you know, those sort of, those kind of distant thoughts of, of playing at Wembley were were just a, just a dream away, really. And we, we played, I'm trying to think who was it, we played, we played in the FA Cup. And I really kind of thought then that, you know, we're a decent side here. We could we could have a real good run in, in, in the Cups and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think where, is it, where we, we ended up playing. I think we drew tour at home with Worthing. And we had to go down there in midweek in the FA Cup. And we had a hell of a side. We were all winners. We were all driven. We were all focused. Um, the likes of Shane Andrews and, and Murph was there then. And, and we got Jonah in. And as a decent keeper. And just a few of those little, those little sort of weak areas of the team were, were, were being built. And, and, and the story with Wimborne, basically, we've gone down there. And I'm, I'm um, chatting to... Uh, one of the lads, I'm trying to think what his name is now, a guy called Steve, who used to play for the Visor. Steve Campbell. Steve Campbell, well done. So me and Steve Campbell was having a little mess around in the changing rooms, and Tom's turned around and he went, Bernsey, sit down, shut up. You won't be messing around in the changing rooms when we're playing at Wembley, will you? And we all went, yeah, all right. Then. We, <laughs> even from that very first round of the Vars, you know, he had his sights set on that, you know. I mean, Wimborne away, they, they got through to the Vars final, you know, not too many years prior to that. And it's a difficult place to go and get a resort. I always find it a difficult place. But 
that day three one could have easily been sort of four or five great start great sort of first victory on the road i can't really remember too much about the game really, <laughs> but, uh, yeah no i remember it we coming away from there with, with a great victory brilliant so then the run sort of continues and escalates so you take on swindon supermarine northward Glossop North End, and my dad still says that Glossop is the worst ground he's ever been to, and uh, and Wroxham. Uh, yeah. So so there's those four games, which then pitches uh, Chippenham uh, into sort of uncharted territory. Really, so all of a sudden we're in the quarter final of the Vars, yeah. And it's a it's a home tie against Bedlington Terriers. Yeah. Now they're obviously a team Northumberland team, and they've reached the final the previous season. They've also That's knocked really Colchester United out of the FA Cup not not too previously either. It went. To a replay so the, the first game was a draw at hard newish park um, yeah. and both yourself and toby jackson both got sent off in that home draw as well so it's no mean feat that we managed yeah. to then get a draw <coughs> and go up there and win so so what can you recall yeah. about that quarter final yeah i remember i mean obviously i, I watched them in the final against Tibbet in the year before of course of course i knew they were decent and and the two guys up front for them were you know they were good players so i knew that you know obviously on that day quarterfinals um, at home, great opportunity. <clears throat> we already knew that um, it was going to be a real tough game. And if you, I think really from about Roxham, to be fair, we were underdogs all the way through. So, you know, obviously playing Bedlington, was that a good draw for us actually? You know, them travelling down from so far up north to our place, it was going to be difficult. But I thought we handled them pretty well. They they took a couple of chances in the game. We we took our chances as well. But I think the two chances that they took really were opportunist and just the quality of their strikers kind of got them that draw. I mean, the sending off, I remember it quite well, actually. I, the winger had come running into challenge and I just cut inside, flipped the ball around him. And as he sat up, I've just kicked him straight in the face. Oh. Volleyed him straight in the face. And he's crying like a baby on the floor. So... Um, the ref kind of come over and I was like, look, I've just tried to hurdle him. I've got size 12 feet. You know, what am I supposed to do? Do you know what I mean? And get off. <laughs> and that was it. But we we must have had somebody, I know I shouldn't really be saying this on there, but we must have had somebody on the inside of the Wilts FA because I got sent off three times that season and I wasn't banned at all. So obviously, <laughs> I could have been banned for a lot of those games, but um, kind of got brushed under the carpet somehow. <laughs> following the season i got like a 56 day ban so uh it caught up with me in the air <laughs> not for the for the vase run so lucky i guess with two players sent off to, to get that draw and then up to bedlington the following week with a great support i must say that the support traveling out there was unbelievable because i think it's about a seven hour coach journey although yeah, my, wife, yeah. my wife did fly up with malcolm on the on a plane so <laughs> 45 minutes well we were all, all of us and the supporters were on this coach but uh yeah no um the, the win up there was brilliant they they kind of rested a few, couple of players apparently for the semi-final the week after and all tom said to us in the change room was listen guys they're for the semi-finals next week you know what do you think about that you know and you come out it's a horrible little grind you know there's a little bit of a cage coming out of the grind out of the changing rooms and I'm thinking why have they got a cage you soon realize when you're coming to getting pelted with you know fruit and coins and stuff there's only about one pence or two pences that were hitting back in head but you know there's no no shrapnel no silverware but uh, 
Yeah, no, it, from our point of view, you know, I remember, you know, that we took our goals well. We defended, defended resolute. You know, we, we never really gave them a sniff in that game. And we came away with a 2 0 win. And afterwards was fantastic. We, we, we stopped at Leeds on the way down afterwards and had a party on the way down. It was, it was just such a great night for, for us to, to, to get that victory up there. And one of my memories of it is obviously Les Weir with his Elvis mask on and, you know, he really did keep us entertained. And, <laughs> and when, we, when we stayed away at different places, Les, had, or he'd always sought out, you know, decent hotels for us as well. So I think he was in with like a hotel group or something. And mm-hmm. I always used to room with Godders and Godders would never let me unpack my my bag he would say right sit on the bed there i'll be back in 10 minutes come back he said oh we've been upgraded i said what do you mean you've been upgraded like you never tell me a secret <laughs> to some really good rooms i think um but um the gloss up game we were staying in this hotel in manchester we got this room i'm not kidding you we're sat in this little we had this little sauna like a little spa in our room with a 50 inch tv behind it and, and we were sat in this in this spa, me and Godders, watching Sky Sports. It was amazing. <laughs> and the coach was leaving. Like, Tom was knocking on the door. We couldn't hear the spa was going. was ringing. We couldn't. You had to get the manager to let us let him in the room to come tell us to go because we were just having such a good time in this in this spa. It was great. They might still be there now if we hadn't gone on quite yeah, yeah, we probably would have been, yeah. <laughs> it was a great room, I must say. Brilliant. Well, for, awesome. for those of you who haven't um, experienced Les Weir out there, um, we will put up a link to the Road to Wembley video on the when the pod comes out and you'll be able to experience him for yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah as soon as you said Elvis Costner, I, I knew who you were talking yeah. about. <laughs> so, yeah, victory in the, in the quarters and that, that uh, led you into the semi-finals, which saw Chippenham face Vauxhall Motors who I noticed uh, in, well, at least the first leg, were wearing, their kit was basically England's 98 Umbro kit, wasn't it? That's and a great just, spot. Yes, it was, yeah. They just changed the sponsor to, to Vauxhall, obviously. Yeah, it um, was, yeah. So, yeah, you're facing Vauxhall Motors in the semis. Uh, and after 180 minutes of football in both legs, the score was nil-nil. Uh, yeah. And then an extra time, Mark Cutler, on as a sub, scored uh, the famous goal, which took Chippenham to Wembley. Mark Cutler, the state agent, don't hold that against me though, and uh, centre forward. Mark Cutler cuts, as uh, a book of stories and excuses why he misses training a lot. Uh, he's always late to games, hence the reason why he's put on a little bit of weight. But he's the best dressed man and best looking man at the club. And I would personally like to thank him for um, fulfilling my dream of scoring that goal that got us to Wembley. Kippenham down on the attack, John Woods charge it down into the box, late it off, Cutler, no! Mum's got it on video, so yeah, she brings it, puts it on every time I go up there. The boys had worked really, really hard, and it was just perfect for me coming off the bench, really. You know, there was a few few gaps opening up in their defence. Great run from Johnny Woods, and we got a lucky ricochet. And I mean, yeah, I just like I said at the time, I just hit it as hard as I could, and fortunately for me, it went in, and for Chipnam, it went in. So, what was it like in that extra period, like both before and after that goal went in? It felt like no one was going to score, really. Um, and it was just going to be by that old goal. And I remember, obviously, we were kicking down the slope. So going 1-0 up, the place erupted. Um, there was a banner behind the goal saying, welcome to hell. Do you know what I mean? 
And up, up at Vauxhall, I think we outnumbered their supporters up there. So we know, I mean, I think, you know, they, they haven't been going that long and as a, as a club. Um, so they never really had a massive following. Obviously, once we'd scored and turned around, the, the second half, the 15-minute second half, just seemed to go on forever. I remember chatting to Shane Andrews about this. I, I was, my emotions had sort of taken over a little bit. My legs had turned lead. There's no way a mere mortal like me would ever get to play at Wembley. It's not going to happen. They're going to equalise. Um, we're going to lose on penalties. And we've come so close, but we're never going to make it to Wembley. That sort of thought process was driving me on. I was crying. I was. I couldn't breathe. It was the, the emotion of it all was just absolutely. You know, it was staggering. Um, you know, so that sort of fifteen minutes seemed to go on for about another forty-five minutes. It just felt like it was never ending. All we could do was just clear our lines, clear our lines, keep defending, keep defending, looking for an eight ball, and hoping that you know the likes of Tweeds or Brainer would take it up into the corner and give us a little bit of a respite, but. Obviously, they checked the kitchen sink it, it, trying to get that equaliser. And, you know, the final whistle, you know, was bedlam. It was it was crazy. And, you know, I remember sort of coming off and my mum and, and my uncle and my sister and, and obviously Danny, you know, quite well, mm-hmm. we were there. And um, so I was kind of looking for them in the, in the crowd. And then, you know, that sort of reality of that sort of little bit of famous for five minutes, kind of, it was mad. I was, you know, trying to, I was Ian, Ian Longdon was trying to interview me on the radio. I had the, the guy from HDV there once and I got man of the match as well. So I was being presented with that. I could hear all the lads in the changing rooms. I just wanted to be in there with them. And, you know, so I, that's, I was being carried off the pitch as well. You know, there's a real sort of iconic picture of me being carried off the pitch. And for me, it was, it was things that you'd ever dream about. It was, it was never a, Something that would happen to this Lee Burns Western League player who was like 33 or whatever it was. And um, and I really did try and sort of take in all of that emotion and, and, and those feelings. It was just absolutely an incredible, incredible, probably about 20 minute period of, you know, being interviewed and trying to stay straight and... And then finally getting in to see the boys and, and, and everyone's crying and, and you know, that, it was it was incredible. It was such a, it was probably the most emotional I've ever been. It was massive. It was a massive thing for the, for the club, you know, for, for the supporters. And it really put us on the map, the semi-final. When we, I think we had about three and a half, four thousand at home, maybe, you know. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was fantastic. So is that the the semi final that you were you were at that as well, Alex? Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it must okay. have been. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So I I was one of the pitch invaders at the end, and I remember end, ending up with Shane Andrews in the melee, and he sort of grabbed me and was kissing me and all this sort of thing. Such a such a great great day, definitely. From that semi final then, which took place on Saturday the twenty fifth of March two thousand. And uh, I've got a I've got a program here featuring a, a handsome cover model uh, from from the time for my research. So I'm just going to read out the fixtures or the, the dates of the fixtures between the semi-final and the final. From the 1st of April, we go Saturday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday. And then we get to the final. That's 12 games in the month of April alone, which is a game every two to three days. And yeah. what I'm interested in is 
How did you manage such a schedule like that, balancing between, obviously you're a working man as well, so you're balancing yeah. between work, home life and football. You're trying not to get injured or suspended, although it doesn't sound like there was much chance of you getting suspended. Yeah. Um, and also having to deal with the extra attention that reaching the final had generated, because I don't remember there being much in the way of squad rotation because the team was still obviously fighting on other fronts, fighting for a promotion spot in the league and admitting yeah. to the final, the Les Phillips Cup as well. You know, it's really mad watching a lot of sort of, you know, watching the Premier now and you hear players that are tired or you hear that, you know, that um, they can't manage, you know, a game at the weekend and in the week or, you know, they're suffering fatigue and, and stuff like that. You don't know what fatigue is. When you're, for me, I wanted to be there Saturday, Sunday, Tuesday. Do you know what I mean? For me, I, you know, because of um, the togetherness of the team as well, really, um, the enjoyment factor was, was being at football. And a little bit of a torrid time at home as well, funny enough. But um, so, so football was a real outlet for me to express myself and, and enjoy it, you know. And I think we were quite lucky in, in the in the respect that I think we probably had um, a squad of about 17, 18. So we could, the likes of Nick Beaverstock and, and Darren Hobbs and, and players like that, that we'd signed Richard Bourne as well. So... We, we'd had, you know, like Toby as well, Toby Jackson. So we had we had a, a decent squad that would play and, and obviously just try and, 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 you know, keep that kind of momentum going, really, because we were, you know, fighting on all fronts. I did, funny enough, the week before the final, I did actually get injured. So I, I once went ahead of down at the guys backed into me. And as I've gone over the back, I've twisted my pelvis, but I thought I'd ripped my groin. So you imagine this, the biggest game of my life. I'm, I'm injured. One of my dear friends, Matt Carr, his dad's a doctor, David, and, and I've gone in to see him. I said, look, David, you have to give me an injection. I've got to get through, you know. And he just said to me, let me let me have a look. So he said, it looks like you've twisted your pelvis. Get in and see this guy called Wayne Rhodes, who was a, a, a chiropractor. I've seen him on the Wednesday night. He snapped me back into place. He said, don't drive your car home, walk home, because if you drive your car, it'll probably slip back in. So I walked three miles home. And on the Tuesday night before the final, if you if you can remember, we had Sky Sports in, in, in the training. So they were filming, you know, and I could see myself. I could hardly run. Luckily, Sky was there because if Tom or Nobby had put us through a bit of a session... I wasn't going to be able to do it, you know. So we were just going through the motions for the camera and stuff like that, which was mm-hmm. nice. I seen this Wayne Rhodes on the Wednesday night. He snapped me back into place. Thursday went into training, felt good. Friday, obviously, we travelled up to, to to London. Yeah, so luckily for me, touch wood, I I could I could play. Do you know what I mean? But it was touch and go for a lot of us, you know. I think you know, I, I count my lucky stars that. I wanted to see David Carr that day because <laughs> I didn't, you know, I'd have been struggling. Thank you, David Carr and Sky Sports. <laughs> <laughs> so to ask the next question, I need to actually go back to a game which took place the previous season. And I'm sure you'll remember this. It's a home match against Tiverton Town. And it was won by Chippenham 4-3 in awful conditions. But before half time, the Chippenham goalkeeper, who was John Haynes at the time, was stretched off with an injury. What do you remember about what, what happened next in that game? Well, um, listen, I've played in lots of different positions. Um, I'm a centre forward by trade, although 
everyone will disagree with that. But <laughs> lots of goals. The only reason I'm a centre half because I never lost a header for 14 years. I've got Pat Jennings' hands, so you know, Tom said he wants to go in goal. So I'm like looking around. I think you know, I said, step me in goal. We had somebody that can come on at centre half. Tiverton was flying as well. And I just knew, I just had this feeling. I was chatting to Martin Rogers afterwards, and he said, as soon as you went in goal, I knew we wouldn't get a victory. You know, everything I was coming for. You know, John Haynes never, John Haynes was a decent shot stopper, but you couldn't get him to come off his line and, and take a catch. You know, mm-hmm. so, I really, I do jest about not uh, losing ahead of 14 years, by the way. There was one or two, but um, going, I went in goal, and um, I quite enjoy going in goal. I was always thinking, I oh, want to retire, maybe I'll go in gold. The question that arises from that is that when you get to Wembley, Tommy and Nobby Bush's assistant, they decide to start the Vars final with five outfield players on the bench. So they've left out the reserve goalkeeper, Ian Harris, from the squad altogether. Yeah. So yeah. if anything had happened to Ian Jones, who was who was the first choice, would we have seen you back in the sticks? Was there, was there a plan? Um, no, there wasn't. There wasn't actually. Um, and the funny thing is, I mean, obviously they had they had a few decisions to make. Um, obviously, Tom and, and Nobby arranged squad selection for the game, and obviously, I think he what they really done was sort of stay stay true to the players that had been there for a while, and, and you know, like the, you know, Nick Tiley and you know Goddard and um, you know, the other guys like Nick Beaverstock and stuff. So there wasn't really a slot for. Chopper because he he'd not played for us all season. He'd never even I don't think he'd actually put the, the gloves on for one game. So um and he's a great character as well. So it's nice to have, you know, it's nice to have Chopper around as well because he, he was really experienced and you know, he's a good lad to, to have you know be social with as well. But I think it would take hell of a lot for for Jonah to to get injured. I think you could hit him with a bit of 4B2 and he'd still get up and stuff. He took, he took a lot of punishment that season, definitely. It wasn't in the plan, but I do, I do see where you're coming from. So yeah, how, how did the players who were who were left out of the squad? So Toby Jackson, Ian Harris, uh, and in particular Richard Bourne, who started the home leg of the semi-final. Uh, yeah. How did they react? How did they react to the news when they were informed that they wouldn't be part of the team on the day? Uh, and as captain, were you ever part yeah. of the team selection process? No, no. I even had to go to the room to speak to Tommy and Nobby. The for them to tell me that I was actually playing. So um, that was the thing, really. You know, um, I was nervous. You know, I was nervous even going to find out whether I was playing, to be fair. Um, I shouldn't have been, really, I guess, because I sort of played most of the season. I know Toby took it really bad, and I think it kind of finished his playing days, to be fair. He never really recovered from disappointment. I know that he, he'd lost in the semi-final of ours when he came to Trowbridge. So, um, He'd had that disappointment, and to get to the final and not even make the make the the, the squad was, was devastating. It was devastating for him and Borny, and it was very difficult for them. You know, difficult for us, and, and you know, to have that conversation and try and you know um, put your arm around them and, and, and stuff like that. Because what can you say? You know, it, you know, it's the biggest day of any non-league players playing days and to be told that you're not playing or in the squad. And I think I think with both of them, really, they both could have made a difference on the day. Do you know what I mean? So it was such a tough decision for, for Tom and Nobby to, to make that. You know, I, I do kind of really, I still, you know, even now kind of really feel 
for those guys not to have made the squad. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine. But I guess that that's football, whatever level it is at, isn't it? Some some people have got to be yeah. out and can't yeah. can't have a, a team of thirteen or fourteen players, can you? So I mean, um, I think earlier, that's why I guess now, you know, there are bigger squads and, and you know, you, you can choose various people to come off the bench and it, and it does save a lot of hassle. But uh, obviously Tobes and, and, and Richard Bourne were both really good players as well. So, you know, I felt I was devastated for them. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you, you have to park that and move on and, and, and just sort of push on to, to the game. Do you know what I mean? So... You, you, you couldn't really sort of hang on it for too long. Okay, so speaking of the game, uh, it, it's it's five to three. You're leading the team out alongside the Deal Town captain for one of the last ever cup finals to take place at the old Wembley Stadium. Uh, can you sum up how that felt? Uh, and have you ever experienced anything like it since? It's surreal. It's surreal. It, you know, we've got that. We've got the England. We've got the home changing rooms. You know, we when we went to have a little look around on the Friday, all the England team shirts are out. You know, Beckham, Skulls, Gerrard. You know, and and you can't. You know, you can't really sort of put into words what that. You know what that was like. You know, and to to be captain as well was, it's a it's a dream. It's an absolute dream come true. So. The FA are a little bit anal. They sort of say, right, at this time you've got to be ready to come out. This time you've got to be out in the tunnel. We then go out to this. You then line up. And they give you a little bit of a, a running order of what to do. Do you know what I mean? And coming out, the noise and, and the heat and, the, you know, the adrenaline, it was it was incredible. It was an absolute uh, – you just really can't – words just doesn't describe the well, – when I was growing up, you always – you know, the, the FA Cup finals, for instance, you know what I mean? It was the whole day, wasn't it? You know, you wake up and um, it'd be the road to Wembley and you'd watch different clips from this. You go to the players' hotel and stuff. Well, this was happening to us, you know. We, you know, even at, at the hotel with, you know, the likes of like Mickey Godwin sort of came down with his suit on with his, he had like a coat hanger in the back of his coat to make it. And it took the edge off of everything, you know. And, you know, me and Murph had, had chose these suits that were all black, suits, black shirts, black ties, and it was like 100 degrees on the pitch. So we, we got out to sort of have a look and it was, it was, it was, it was, it was so hot. But to walk out, you know, finally with your kit on and that, it, this was what, you know, we'd been sort of preparing for for, for six or seven weeks and it, it, it arrived. You know? So, yeah, it was it's an incredible thing. I've got a little um, story I can tell here because I don't know who the mascot who the mascot was who came out with you that day, but it should have been me, and I'll tell you why. So, um, you know, me and me and my dad were following Chippenham sort of home and away by this point, and I used to like to hang around by the dugout because obviously I knew Nobby and I knew Steve Lodge, the physio, and I, I liked to chat to them and, and all that sort of thing. And yeah. um, I, can't, I can't remember where it was, but it was definitely an away game. I must have been getting a bit too much. There was the, the game was was tense, wasn't going quite right. I don't know because. All of a sudden, Tommy just turned around and said, Stuart, fuck off. Um, <laughs> so I did. Sorry, <laughs> and um, and then the next week, we were playing at home and I was watching the, the team warm up and he came over to me and he said, I'm really sorry about that. I shouldn't have spoken to you like that. When we get to Wembley, you will be the mascot. And I, I think in the end, it was decided, I think there was a newspaper competition in the, maybe in the Gazette to decide it. 
I tell you, I think it was. Um, I think it was a relation of Pete behind the bar. I got a oh, right, okay. His nephew or somebody like. Mm-hmm. But funny thing is, he he messaged me, or he, he I don't know whether, uh, just, or it might have been on something like Twitter or Facebook or something. He sent me a photo of him. No, you know what I mean. I think he's got like three kids and like this. You know what I mean? He, <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's sort of got no interest in football or anything like that. You know, so. Oh, wow. Probably meant the world to you. Do you know what I mean? He got the he got the nod. I would have voted for you, though, Stu. Oh, thanks, mate. I really appreciate that. <laughs> so obviously, we we've really watched the match highlights on YouTube. A game of few clear-cut chances for either team. Really, neither side wanted to to give an inch. Although obviously, Dave Godley in the first half and, and Steve Brown in the second uh, both yeah. missed chances, which would have put Chippenham in front. Then, of course, with three minutes to go, a name we'll never forget: Roly. Yeah, uh, scores that fabulous volley to win it for Deal Town. Yeah. With 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 that three minutes or four minutes left to go, were, were you thinking about extra time at, at that point? And what were the last few minutes of the game like as you tried to force an equaliser? Because I didn't remember this, but you actually went up front for a couple of minutes, didn't you, to try and yeah. try to help out Deal Town? We've done that before, you know. We've done that. Like I said, I'm a natural goal scorer. So mm-hmm. funny thing is, I've been chatting. I was chatting to Steve Marshall, who obviously played for Deal. Good lad. I, and I remember going to watch Deal with Tom, actually. So there was obviously the only guys that I really thought were decent was obviously Terry Martin, obviously their captain was solid at the back, Roby Graham and, and Steve Marshall. And um, I'm uh, on Twitter with, with Steve Marshall and uh, he, he messaged me to say, did you ever think about bringing me down or, or kicking me or, or hurting me or you know what I mean, to stop me getting past you because he kind of dropped his shoulder, went past me. But I I have never I never had any thoughts about that because I think we were so solid as a unit like Sir Shane and Murph and stuff like that. Usually if anybody went by me in that sort of area of the pitch, somebody else picked them up and got attacking. And so I didn't, you know, for me it wasn't about sort of bringing them down. But I just remember kind of looking over and Rody Graham's just it the most incredible shot to, to beat Jonah and I, I kind of felt that they'd been coming on a little bit strong, actually. They, they made a couple of substitutions. They brought a big guy up front who was a bit of a handful and stuff. And they, they had a little bit more possession and it was kind of heading that way. We really needed to have freshened it up. And I think Tommy was waiting for a kind of extra time to maybe have a look at that. And then they scored. And Wembley's, you know what I mean? It's, it's such a, it's one of those things really where all you do is look up and and there's the clock. So you, you could see that there was only sort of two or three minutes. Yeah, no, it's, it's it, it, you know, breaks your heart really, doesn't it? You know, I remember Ian London's commentary on it as well. You know, he, he was almost in tears. So. <laughs> and the Chippenham Town move has broken down. And now Marshall can bring it forward for Dill on the right-hand side. He's gone past Burns. He plays it in. James misses it. Oh, I don't believe it. Dill have taken the lead with only three minutes on the clock. It was an absolutely cracking finish. Steve Marshall did the work down the right-hand side. The goal scorer's shirt has now come off. He's looking towards the fans. It's a massive black and white all celebrating that goal. Deal Town have possibly broken the hearts of all the Chippenham Town supporters with just three minutes to go. A shot on the volley beat Ian Jones and into the back of the net. Surely not. No, not at this late stage. Surely Deal Town can't have got the goal which will win the game. The shirt was taken off. Can't see the number. 
frankly, I couldn't care less who scored. Yeah, no, it, it, it sort of it drains you a little bit. That three minutes, sort of, whereas the semi-final, it sort of seemed to be a little bit elongated the time. Those three minutes just passed in a heartbeat, you know. Yeah, God, I, I can't imagine just yeah, heartbreaking for it to be that late as well. Um, yeah. So, so given the result, it was it's disappointing, but. Given that, were you were you surprised at all by the the turnout for the the team's homecoming parade the next day, uh, when thousands of Chippenham supporters lined the streets of um, of Chippenham Town Centre to to welcome you welcome you home? Well, the, the funny thing is, um, I remember we the hotel that we'd stayed in um, was, was was brilliant. And I, you know, we had a good night, had a bit of a sing song. I, I guess you sort of maybe have seen that on the on the video because. I, I came down to the bar and um, Les Weir and I were just sinking double Jack Daniels and Coke for about an hour. And then there's a lady playing on the piano and she started playing Angels. And I said, Les, I, I know this one. I'm going to get up and sing. There was about 400 people in the room. So he stopped her and said, my skipper wants to sing. And we were, we were being followed by a guy called Ian Williams, who was one of Les's mates. I think he worked for HTV or something like that. So course he's recorded everything there's nothing was not recorded so at this point i'm absolutely plastered on jack daniels and singing in front of 400 people so we were just trying to lighten the mood a little bit and that sort of continued les and i um darren hobbs joined us and we finished drinking probably by half six in the morning so um i've literally got back to the room had a shower got changed come out, got on the coach to come back to Chippenham. So as you can imagine, getting back to Chippenham, I was hanging out of my ass. And then we, we end up, I think it's at one of the supermarkets where the, where the bus was. And, um, so we're all on this open top bus, making our way through Chippenham. There's about six people waving at us from the street, or there's people thinking, who are those guys? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then as we've sort of come around under the railway into Chippenham, it was like, oh my God, you know, marching bands. There must have been 10,000 people. Do you think? I don't know. What sort of figure would you put on that? It was, it was incredible. Definitely know? in the thousands. Definitely in the thousands. Oh, yeah. Just imagine what it would have been like if we'd won, you know? <laughs> yeah, you know? So for me, it was... Yeah, magical, really, and it was lovely. I remember, you know, like Shane and I and, and, and Jane were and stuff, and Murph and, and Scorch and that. We always used to go for a couple of drinks into Chippenham and stuff, and you couldn't buy a drink. People used to stop and have a chat and stuff like that, and, you know, obviously that homecoming was amazing. It was, you know, going into the town hall and stuff like that, having a chat with the mayor, you know, when I'm sort of probably... My, the fumes coming from my alcoholic breath was probably curling her hair. Do you know what I mean? So I don't really know too much about what I said. But. Well, I do remember you stopping to shake my hand while you while you were walking up, and um, yeah, about yeah. fifteen minutes later, I came round. So yeah, that'll be. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, actually, you know, we talk about going for a drink at Chippenham when we couldn't buy a drink. About three months later, we were in Chippenham. Nobody recognised us. Do you still have do you still have all, you know, your your kit from the day? Presumably that was a one-off kit that the players were allowed to keep. If you have got the boots, and I'm I'm particularly interested in the captain's armband. Dan had the captain's armband. I've got the medal. I've got my shirt. My wife 
spring for me on my 40th birthday. Um, we then moved house. It got put in the shed, and it's still in the shed now. The glass is broken, so I've had to clear all the glass up. I don't really know what to do with it, really, because my my wife's very minimalistic. Mm-hmm. She takes my clutter on the walls and stuff. We've not got a very big house, so um, it's in my shed. I'm, I'm open to suggestions if anybody wants to um, recuperate it and take it out of there. It's probably got a few cobwebs on it and stuff. <laughs> If they want to put it somewhere, I'm more than happy to maybe look to donate it or whatever. I don't know. But maybe that's something that the pod can. Yeah, there you go. The power of the pod. Yeah, right in. Uh, yeah. With the captain's armband, I, I just have to yeah. say. So I, I wasn't able to affect uh, to, to affect a gamer's mascot, but I was able to affect it in a small way because I bought that captain's armband. Okay. Yeah, I, I found I found it in a shop. I must have been out shopping with my parents, and um, they had these blue and white captain's armbands. And we bought two, and my dad gave one to Nobby, who he obviously worked with, still does, um, yeah. for the final. And then my dad actually wore the other one on the day. Um, and I had no idea until the, the pictures had been printed in the paper the following week. I had no idea that he'd actually worn it. Um, yeah, so no, he, came, he came and gave it to me, actually. And we had a little bit of a... The strangest thing for me was, you know, having a shirt with, with Burns 5 on the back and going through and, and seeing guys that had actually bought Burns 5 shirts in the, <laughs> the stands, you know, and obviously Dan had one, and mm-hmm. seeing other people with that, you know, it was like, really? It's crazy, do you know what I mean? It, it just kind of, it didn't resonate, you know, the, the enormity of what it kind of meant to a lot of these these kids and stuff, you know. But, yeah, no, I mean, um, we had that a little bit of a, you know, Nobby coming presented that to me. So that, that, that really sticks in my mind, and, we had a little bit of a prayer before the game and stuff like that. We had one of the doctors read out a piece that I'll be playing. It's all about winning and having that desire to win and stuff like that. But we never really needed that. We never really needed any sort of outsiders or any sort of encouragement because we already had that fire in our bellies and that anger and that desire and that real want to go and win. Do you know what I mean? And, and that that was that was all the way through the reins. Like I said, like we were underdogs from most of the rains but um the final was so severe on the pit playing on the pitch was seemed to bypass pretty quick the first half just kind of flew by really and you just want to play your your game of football but because of the occasion it, it you know you know you didn't try anything special you didn't need you didn't want to you didn't want to mess up to be fair so you know it was all about making sure that you know, things went right but yeah no yeah i think dan still got the yeah, that's a really good story, actually. Fantastic. I'm glad it's still about. And like I said, I was I was so thrilled. I remember seeing it in the paper with it on your arm, and I was so thrilled that it had actually been used. And I thought that's my, you know, that's my little piece of it down there on the pitch. So, uh, yeah, that that, that yeah. Does, does mean have a you, lot. Have you, still, have you still got much memorabilia from from back in the day, or? So I still have. Well, I've got the. Um, I showed you the program earlier. So I've got the. Yeah. I've got the FA Vars Cup final the program here with, I don't know if you can see us all signed uh, down the team sheet as well. I do still have my my final shirt. It doesn't fit anymore, obviously. It yeah. does have it does have wood six on the back though, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, my dad still has a lot of like programs and stuff pugged away in a cupboard, which I which I like to look at occasionally. So so yeah, there's still there's still a lot of it about definitely. Yes, yeah, man. I mean, I, I I've got a couple of folders really of 
of newspaper clippings and stuff. I should really organise it a little bit better. Um, but I've got, I mean, you can imagine, I mean, I, I just retired playing last year at 55. So uh, I've got stuff right up until playing for the, the caution vets last season. Do you know what I mean? When we, yeah. The league and stuff like that. So lots of lots of great memories and stuff. And it's it's nice to sort of go back over that that's sort the of chipping of time. I you know I get I can talk about it. You know I do, I do get people say to me, oh here we go, he's chatting about Wembley again. <laughs> A lot of that's kind of jealousy, really. I think. I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah. That's the sort of thing you got to talk about for the rest of your life, really, isn't it? I mean, playing at Wembley. Yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah, go for I it. think you know what like the Sunday team I played for. We'd always have like new guys coming in and playing and stuff. They didn't know who I, who I, who I was, and um, I'd have to kind of prove myself again. Do you know what I mean? Even if I was in my fifties and stuff like they think who's this old guy turning up? What's, what's he playing? Is he the physio? What is he? You know, I'm, I'm now like, is he playing for us? Do you know what I mean? Mad. And I probably played with their probably played with their granddads or something. You know what I mean? Right. Well, Lee, you, you you listen to the pod, so you, you know that we ask this question to everyone who comes on, and that is, uh, what thing from the nineties would you most like to bring back? What thing from the nineties would I like to bring back? Yeah. Um, do you know I've been thinking about this? Uh, very difficult for me to remember the nineties. It's just these things really where I was I was more of an eighties guy. I, I know I don't I shouldn't be saying that, Tom, but uh, oh, that's it. Yeah, Cancel no, the pod immediately. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, the 90s, I, do you know what it would be is is being back in that changing room in, in Chippenham and, and being with the guys again and stuff. We, we often get together a lot. I think material things is always very difficult to kind of say, really. Maybe my, my Puma King boots and stuff, do you know what I mean, from, from the 90s. They were my life and soul. I'd clean them twice a week, regardless. But if I could bring anything back from the 90s, it would be, you know, being with my friends and my colleagues from, from the Chippenham days. Just before we finish, so you, you are getting the chance to, to get back to Chippenham with a few of the FA Vars squad uh, at the end of next month. Because um, right. it's been announced in the last few days that you'll be returning to Hard Newish Park alongside, uh, as I said, several of the members of the Vars squad for a special match between uh, a Chippenham Town Legends team and a Manchester United Legends team. But you're leading the team from the dugout as opposed to the back line on this occasion. Yeah, I had, I had ankle surgery last year. Um, I, do you know what? I'd, I'd love to put my kit on again for one final um, run out on, on Chippenham. And I, and I have mentioned that to, to Gary Organ, who, who, who's obviously been arranging this. And um, he said, well, why don't you just come over and manage the team then? Which I thought was a great bit of respect and, and a great sort of honour for me to be able to do that. On the flip side to that, I have played for Manchester United Legends as well <laughs> when we played at Melksham. So um, that was a great occasion as well, just to to put the United kit on because I'm a Man United fan as well. So to be able to manage Chippenham against the Man United Legends is is another great thing that I'll probably remember for the lifetime. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I'm looking forward to that, seeing the boys again. Brilliant. Well, that game, uh, if uh, anybody out there in Podland is interested, that's on Sunday, the 27th of March, and uh, tickets are available from the Chippenham Town website. Lee, it's been absolutely fantastic to to speak to you tonight and go through the Vars run again. You are now, as you were then, a legend. Uh, and oh, thank thanks, thanks so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. No, I enjoyed it. Thanks, and uh, good luck with the pod, and uh, it's nice to be a friend of the pod.
Uh, you're a legend of the pod. You're more than a friend. You're a legend of the pod, Lou. Am I the first legend of the pod? I think, I think so. Be. Get it in the ledger. Yeah. Get it in the ledger. Get it in the ledger, Greeny. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for, to Burnsy for joining us. I mean, what an absolute roller coaster of emotion that was. Yeah, God, yeah, it was. I, I was only there for the for the semi final, one of the legs of the semi final and the final, obviously. But um, despite missing most of that season, you can still feel the nostalgia sort of seeping through through everything he was saying and just took me back to sort of summer 2000 and yeah yeah it was great yeah brilliant I mean that's fantastic I mean you know if you're captain aside at Wembley that's obviously something that can never ever be taken away and it's um it's something that a lot of people would love to do and I'm so glad that Burnsy had the chance to do it with Chippenham yeah yeah absolutely um, well, if you've got any thoughts on that episode or you've got any memories about that uh, Chippenham Town run or any other grassroots football memories, or if you're a Deal Town player or another Chippenham Town player, then get in, get in touch. Yeah, we can do a series. We can do a series of different viewpoints. If you, yeah. if you were the ref, you <laughs> yeah. know, if you're listening, let us know. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can do that in the usual places. We're on Twitter at AllRight90s. You can email us, AllRight90s at gmail.com or facebook.com forward slash allright90s. It's all letters, no numbers. And we're also on Instagram. uh, And our handle is allright.90s.podcast. And uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you on on this topic or any other topic. As Um, always, please do get in touch. Uh, Right, well, I suppose that's about it for this time around. And we'll be back soon to bother you again about another aspect of 90s popular culture. So until then, it's goodbye from me. Yeah, and it's goodbye from me. Bye. Goodbye.